Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. Today, we are talking about our favorite and your favorite books of the year. So I guess we're calling this our best books of the year episode. This is our Super Bowl. I'm really excited for this. <laughs> also, I don't know if people know this. Grace loves a listicle of best books of the month, best books of the year. Like, you love a best books list. I send them to you, like, because whenever I'm working on my weekend reading post for my blog, I always come across them and I send them to Becca. I'm like, here's one. And then I, you sometimes will send me, like, feedback on it and you'll be like, well, I don't know about this list or whatever. I'm like, I'm just sending it to you. I haven't read it yet. Like... <laughs> Well, this is I a, do love one. This is a list of our very own. I'm very excited. I also was very interested to see what books our listeners were recommending. And I would say in summary, our listeners might be slightly higher brow readers than us. There was a lot of nonfiction and like important fiction recommended. So we'll round it out with some more trashy wrecks. Well, I think if a stranger asked me like what the best book you read this year would be, I would try and say something a little more highbrow. But for our podcast, I'm like, I'm going to tell you the best trashy thriller I read and we're going to go from there. Well, you know what? I think I probably would have done that three years ago before we had the podcast. But now I feel like if somebody asked me what my favorite book of the year was, I would just like fully go off and like really (laughs) recommend something like super trashy. Like obviously this is not... And trash, I don't believe that anything is a guilty pleasure. People hate this turn of phrase when I call something trashy. It's it's something I love. Anyway, like a few years. <laughs> I just know people are going to complain about that. Please um, don't go and yell at her for saying trash person. <laughs> but if two years ago, if somebody was like, what was your best book of the year? I would have talked their ear off about the idea of you. Like, that's the kind of book that I want people to read. Like, I want people to be like in this emotional hole with me. So I'm excited to tell you about what put me in an emotional hole this year. But the idea of you is also really well written. Like it's not trashy. No, absolutely. It's a good book. But you've recommended like, I mean, like the roommate, like that's trashy. I don't think that's inherently trashy either. It's sexy. I mean, I'm not going to upset people. You know, I didn't think the writing was very good. (laughs) You know, it's what's trashy. The paper princess. Oh, that's garbage, and it's amazing. (laughs) We never did a book club pick a brown paper princess. We didn't. I had this dream at one point that we were going to get, like, Jared Freed or some guy to read this along with us. Jared Freed doesn't read. Jared was like, fuck no. But, like, this book, if you're not a longtime listener, this is, like, a way throwback reference. This book series called The Paper Princess is about – an orphaned girl, she's like in high school, she's stripping for money. And this like guy comes and picks her up at the strip club. And he's like, I'm your guardian now. And it's super creepy. And then he brings <laughs> and her to like his house. And she like starts fucking one of the brothers. Yeah, like, the, well, many of them. Like, and then she, she, he brings her home and he has four sons. And she like immediately gets entangled with some of them. And it's like, really racy it's a really sexy book a lot of teen sex like it is yes it is we're getting so off base though because that is not from 2021 no Um, that is an older book series if you want something really awful go read that like awful in a good way I feel like we should just cut out this whole part of the conversation because people are gonna be so angry at us no we shouldn't we're keeping it okay Let's talk about highs and lows. What's your high? My high. So last week I said that my Instagram session was NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month, which is, it's an organization. It's a nonprofit. I have no affiliation with it. I have just adopted my own personal NaNoWriMo that I am recommitting to my book. And I want to finish the first draft of my book that I'm working on by the end of the year. I'm currently at like 37,000 words and a book is between 70 and 90. And so I'm like halfway done. And so my goal is to write at least 20,000 words this week, not this week, 20,000 words this month and 20,000 words next month and to like put a deadline against it and finish the first draft. And I, I feel a renewed zest. I'm also in like a bitching and complaining text thread with Hannah Ornstein, who is also doing her own NaNoWriMo to finish her book. So I feel like I have a little bit of community. I tried to start an accountability group with Olivia Mentor a few months ago and it didn't stick. So I'm like, 
I'm feeling renewed zest. I'm feeling good. I was complaining about some work stuff the past few weeks, and I feel like this is something I can control. I do well with a deadline, so I'm like, I'm committing. So that's my high. Also, I finished the body of my sweater. That's impressive. So So all you have to do now is sleeves? All I have to do is sleeves. Wow. I started the sleeves on Sunday night, and I screwed them up, and so now I'm, like, slightly scared of them, but I'll get back to it one night this week. That's exciting. I mean, you could just keep it and wear it as a vest. Like It is not because it's um, <laughs> the shoulder line is like low. So it's like oh. kind of like a weird short sleeve shirt right now. Could be like a cap sleeve top. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm so proud of myself. I'm so excited. That's great. What's yours? I just had a really fun weekend. There was three highlights. The first was um, on Friday night, I had been invited to this dinner at Zero George, which is this beautiful hotel that also has a restaurant with a tasting menu by Krug, the champagne brand. And it was just magical. It was outside. I, at one point, I was like shoveling like caviar beef tartare into my mouth. And I was like, who am I? But it was so much fun. And I met like the most amazing people. I met the owners of Zero George, and they were really, really cool. But I met a girl, and she actually lives in my building, turned 40 two days after I did, moved to New York one month after I did, and she does all of the marketing for Krug Champagne. Oh, cool. So that was really cool. And then I also met this older couple that like collects champagne, and they were just such a riot to talk to. After talking to Grace last week, I feel like I really would love to have more intergenerational but intergenerational friendships, like besides my parents, like my parents are obviously like a different generation and two of my best friends besides being my parents. I was like, I want to be your friends. So like we all exchanged emails and that was super fun. Fun. And then the next day was Zoe's third birthday party. And I got her like a hundred dollars worth of stickers and a sticker album. Oh, Grace, I, I would, Probably venture a guess that if you got me the same gift, I would be like overjoyed. Like, what a great like Lisa Frank stickers, like puffy stickers. Yeah, she lost her mind. Like, was covered in stickers by the end of the night. And then my friend had a really fun Halloween party, and he did a Back to the Future theme. He dressed up as Doc, and literally rent. He managed to find he rented a DeLorean. That's insane. He has this property that has, like, a courtyard outside, and, like, everyone was just taking pictures with DeLorean outside. It was so neat. I was just, like, really blown away by it. And he, like, he loves Halloween even more than I do and just turned the whole place into this haunted house. I mean, he has, like, like dead bo- – you saw his Instagram. He has, yeah. like, dead bodies, like, fake dead bodies, like, mannequins everywhere. And it was just so gory and grisly. It was amazing. Like – it was it was very scary. That it looked a lot of fun. So it was super fun. It was a really good weekend. And then Sunday I was like the biggest introvert. I did not like do anything. I had to work a bunch, but I my mom was like, "What are you doing?" Everyone was like, "Oh, do you want to come watch trick or treaters in our neighborhood?" I was like, "I'm not seeing people. Thank you." <laughs> what about on the low side? I just feel that I'm a little underwater with work. I mean, I feel like this is what I said last week too. It's just the busiest time of the year, but it's not a low because as you know, when we work for ourselves, it's good to have work. Um, I'm just like, maybe I said yes to a few too many projects and um, it's just hard to balance. Like my family's like, let's have dinner. Let's do this. Like, let's go see Zoe do this thing. And I want to say yes, but then I'm also like, when am I going to get all of this done? It's holiday grace time. Is it earlier (laughs) this year because of all of the shipping delays and like stock issues? Yeah, I've got to start. I'm only doing four gift guides this year, so that's good. It's more just the um, the sponsored content and like brand deadlines. But the gift guides, I think I have to start them like this week because of supply chain issues. I know. I, I haven't done any Christmas shopping yet, and I feel like I need to get ahead of it because otherwise I'm going to get screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Um, so it's just like just a lot of stuff, but like, it's not, it's not a low. It's just, just a lot. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Um, I'm fully 18 months late to this problem, but I have a new client that I've been working with the past month and they are much meeting more meeting heavy culture than my previous client that they replaced. And 
I am like low-key outraged that I have to be presentable to be on camera on Zoom every day. And like, obviously, this is the pettiest problem. And, you know, I worked in an office for 12 years, like, and I, I got up every day and made myself presentable. But somehow the amount of outrage that I'm feeling about having to be presentable every day, I'm like, I can't believe this. And also to like not leave my house. I'm like, I cannot believe that I have to do this. Because usually yeah. I would like stack my meetings on usually on like Tuesday and Wednesday are my meeting days. And then, you know, if I have social plans, I'll obviously get ready. But now I'm like, I have to be ready in the morning every day. Obviously, everyone else has been doing this the entire pandemic. And I'm just like newly outraged. (laughs) That's so funny. Because, yeah, I've fallen into being like a real, uh, really dressed down while I work from home if I don't have any meetings. Like it's like full sweatpants, greasy hair. So I've like gotten into some bad habits here. Yeah. I'm feeling that way because of all the work deadlines. I have to shoot most days this week. So every day I have like full on makeup, like curled hair, like, like cute outfits. And I'm like, this is a lot. Like usually I only wear makeup like maybe twice a week. Yeah. Like people have been doing this every day for the pandemic. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Anyway, let's take a quick ad break. So we're getting close to the end of the year, and I'm already starting to think about what my goals are for 2022. And maybe you have some big goals too, or maybe you want to make some changes in your life, and maybe you need some help doing that. So you've been hearing us talk about BetterHelp all year, and maybe you're wondering, is BetterHelp right for me? Well, we think BetterHelp is an awesome service that's right for pretty much anyone. But specifically, if you're looking to pinpoint or address anything that interferes with your happiness or prevents you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who may be able to help. They make it really, really easy, too. First, you fill out a simple online questionnaire that assesses your needs. They're going to ask you about your age, relationship status, past experience with therapy, and what you're looking to address. Then they're going to match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 24 hours. Then you can choose how you want to interact with them. You can message them anytime, no scheduling needed, or you can have phone or video sessions, whatever works best for you. And something that we really love is that they have counselors who are specialized in specific issues like stress, anxiety, relationships, parenting, addictions, eating, sleeping, trauma, family conflict, LGBT matters, self-esteem, and more. All told, they have over 20,000 licensed professional therapists. And what's great is that they're committed to facilitating great matches. So if your first therapist isn't a fit for any reason, they make it free and easy to switch if you need to. And anything you share is always confidential. Best of all, it's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash badonpaper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash bad on paper. And now into the best books of the year. I feel like I should do a drum roll. Yes. Best books of the year. So we're going to start. I can't believe you structured this. We're going to start with mysteries and thrillers first, which is obviously my favorite category. This was a gift to you. I, I, I wanted you to talk about your passion first. Well, a book that I just still can't stop thinking about is The Push by Ashley Audrain. And so many people had recommended that I read this. It is, there's a lot of trigger warnings here. Like basically anyone who has a newborn or small child, you might want to think twice before you read this book because it deals with a possibly like very bad child. And the relationship between the the parents disintegrates because the the husband thinks that the wife is crazy, but she just can't seem to bond with her, her daughter. And when something terrible happens, like a horrible tragedy, you know, it forces the marriage apart, but everyone thinks that she's crazy. So, um, it, it's very, it's chilling. The last, the last sentence of the book, like still haunts me. I loved this book. It's very, very, very dark though. Well, we also had a listener call in with a voicemail that they also said this was their best book of the year. So let's hear from them too. Try that on paper. The best book of 2021 actually came out at the beginning, The Push by Ashley Audrain. And we talked about the biggest plot twist happened twice in this book. You didn't even know why it was called The Push. Man, like, I recommend this to anyone who needs a good thriller. 
The only thing is I do not recommend it to new moms, but that book was amazing and I wish I had, or I wish I can reread it all over again. All right. And then you wouldn't be you if you didn't have more than one mystery slash thriller. Oh, we didn't even explain the rules up front. So we both picked five books. We picked a top five for the year. And then we solicited voicemails from our listeners with their favorite book of the year. A lot of them are new books. I also have a category in here for backlist because it was just whatever they and we read this year. Yes. There are too many rules in life. We didn't need to stress people out with more rules here. So, okay. So you... The push is your first one, and you have four more across these categories. So this is your second one. My second one is Goodnight Beautiful by Amy Malloy. And this one was a – this one kind of snuck up on me. This was ultra, ultra creepy. So this one takes place um, in upstate New York. This couple is head over heels. They move into this old Victorian house, except from – so Sam is like this – sexy therapist. And then his wife is kind of stuck at home right now, figuring out what she wants to do. And from up above, you can hear all of Sam's conversations like with his clients. So we're going to leave it kind of at that. But then one day Sam disappears and it's after this beautiful French girl in a mini Cooper has shown up. And from there, we don't really know what happens. And there are two giant twists in this. Like, I feel like it's really hard to talk about this book without alluding to what one or two of the twists, but this got me twice. Like that, like same, like rip your heart out kind of like twist that just like fucks with you. I loved this book. I loved it so much. And I think it's pretty underrated. I mean, it has 2000 ratings on Amazon, which is, is on the higher side, but I really didn't hear a lot of buzz around this one compared to other thrillers. And it's one of the best thrillers I read all year. I feel like you're a thriller connoisseur. So if the twists surprise you, I feel like that means it's a really good one. Yeah. Cause I feel like I'm at a point where I've read so many where I'm like, oh yeah, this is what's going to happen. And I guess it, and it ruins the book for me. Well, are you surprised that I have a mystery slash thriller in my recommendations in my top five? I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Okay. Obviously it's not a scary one because I'm a baby. So one of my top five is The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. And this one actually came out a year or two ago, but um, the sequel came out this year. So I guess I'm talking about the series. And you know that I love a book about rich teens behaving badly with very little supervision. And this like really checked the box there for me. And basically the premise is this girl is, it, this sounds a lot like The Paper Princess, but way better. Like it, it sounds like I'm thinking of how I'm going to describe this in my head. And I'm like, wow, this sounds exactly like the book I described at the top of the episode. So, okay. It's this girl. Um, she, her mom has died and she's by herself and is poor and um, she gets called into the principal's office at school. She finds out that this eccentric billionaire has left her his entire fortune, despite the fact that he has heirs. So he has two daughters and then he has four grandsons. And the only stipulation in his will is that in order to inherit all of his money, she needs to go live in this family home, this like eccentric mansion for a year's time. So she has to move in with all of the heirs. So she's, you know, she's in high school and there's like 14 boys in in the picture and she doesn't know why he's left it to her. The whole book, well, the whole series kind of reminds me of an escape room. Like the grandfather who passed away is really eccentric. There's all these like puzzles and games and riddles that they have to figure out within the house and to like find out why he left her the money. And I read this on vacation So maybe that had something to do with it because I was just like in such a relaxed frame of mind. But like this book was so addictive. It was it scratched such an itch for me of like rich, unsupervised teens. Loved it. That sounds like that. I feel like I might need to read that one. I'm not sure. I really liked it. I liked her other books. I loved Little White Lies and like some of the other ones. Yeah. It's obviously not a scary one, but I just thought it was so creative. Like the the puzzles and the riddles in it are so creative. Yeah. Wait, so let's listen to a few other mystery recommendations from some listeners. Hi, this is for your book episode. I loved The Plot by Jean Hannah Korolitz, who 
also wrote the show that eventually became The Undoing. This book was really good, very much on the edge of uh, edge of my seat. It's about a guy who wrote a somewhat successful novel and is struggling to come up with an idea for a second novel. Um, and he ends up stealing this other author's idea. And then what comes after is, you know, a mess and somebody knows his secret. So um, that's not giving anything away. That's really on the back of the book. Um, but it was a great edge of your seat book. I didn't see the twists and turns coming. Plus, it has the fun addition of a book within a book, um, you know, which is rare. So, yeah, it's a great read. Highly recommend it. Thanks. Hey, Becca and Grace, I'm calling to let you know about one of my favorite books of 2021. It is Confessions on the 745 by Lisa Unger. Now, I'm a fan of twisty thrillers, just like Grace's, and I have to say this one really stood out to me. What started as a domestic problem turned into a huge mystery when the main character, Selena, meets Martha on the train. The two women separate, seemingly never going to meet again, but when Martha makes her way back into Selena's life, everything is flipped upside down. Now, having read a lot of thrillers, I feel like I can typically predict some of the plots that might happen, but with this book, the author literally had me on my toes, and I had to keep reading it until I figured out what happens. Not to mention, there's a giant twist at the end. Hope you and all of your listeners read and enjoy this book. Bye. Hi, Grace and Becca. One of my favorite books of the year was The Wife and the Widow by Christian White. It takes place on an island town during the winter, so the off season. It's told from two perspectives, one from Kate, who is a widow. She learns more about her dead husband's secret life, and Abby, who is an island local, and so she has evidence of her husband's misgivings as well. So these women come together and they discover the whole story and it is a wonderful twist at the end with an unreliable timeline, which made it even better. Thanks. Okay. The time has come to get into my category, uh, romance, which nobody else had any recommendations for. So here I am just holding up this category alone. So I don't think people will be surprised. My first top five rec in romance is People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. I just loved this book. I think that it has, it does, I think, have a little to do with time and place when I read it. I read it in February. We were still in like deep quarantine, no vaccinations. And it was like, it felt like I would never travel again. So reading this book about these characters traveling felt very like cathartic to me. I read it during my first vacation because I was in Palm Springs and so were they, which was funny. Yeah. So I don't know how much that colored my review of the book, but I just loved this book. I thought the main character, and we have a whole book club episode on this. So if you read this or are going to read this, go back and listen to the book club episode too. And we also interviewed Emily Henry, who I adore and want to catfish into being my best friend. But I just, I, this book was so fun. And so the book is about these two best friends who take an annual summer trip together. And they've known each other since college. And they go to, you know, all, all sorts of different places when they're young. Obviously, the trips are, like, less expensive and a little student-y. And then as they get older, the trips become nicer. And they've had a falling out. And um, they're trying to reconcile their friendship. And they're going on a trip this year, even though their friendship is strained, to Palm Springs for his brother's wedding. There's a romance. There's some, like, friends to lovers action here. But I just loved this book. I loved the writing style. And it's it's not the writing style so much. It's almost like the, the character, like, being inside Poppy's head. I just, I really loved. So... This was a this was a highlight for me in the romance category. For my other one, I'm a cheater. <laughs> so Grace, I wrote my, I wrote I my saw list. This. I was like, uh huh. Well, I I wrote my list and I had like okay, so I started. I was whittling down and I had like probably like ten, and then I couldn't I couldn't whittle it down to five, but I got to six, and I was like, well, there's there's nothing else in the romance category, so I can have two. So I'm calling it a tie. I'm a huge cheater. So the first one I was the first one was going to be the one that I cut, 
but I didn't want to cut it because this book has, in my opinion, I have seen no hype for this and I thought it was so good. So the book is Lizzie and Dante by Mary Bly. The book is about a woman who has cancer who goes on a month-long European vacation to Italy with her gay best friend and his partner. And you would think that a book about a woman who is dying would be really, really sad. And there's moments, it is a little sad in some places, but overall, it was like, it was such a good travel book. She meets this famous chef who's like, a a total recluse and she meets him not knowing who he is and they they start a a romance and he has like a a a precocious uh tween daughter and just like the characters in this book and the the setting in this book in Italy and everything about it was just so great I loved the plot line it wasn't like a you know how some books are like too emotionally manipulative. Like I'm thinking, I loved this book, but like my Oxford year, did you read that? No. Where it has like a huge twist and then it's like, and this is a really sad book now. And then you're just like crying for the whole second half of it. And like, that sounds like the worst kind of twist. (laughs) Yeah. But this one was like, it had kind of like a sad premise, but it actually managed to be pretty uplifting. And like, I loved the love story and I thought it was just everything about it was so well told. And I think this book deserves way more hype than it got. So that's why I didn't want to exclude that one. And then my my last romance pick, the tie for my fifth slot, was Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. I loved this book. It's about a it's a second chance romance between uh, two authors who knew each other when they were in high school and come back together as adults. I loved the writing in this, and it was also just so it's so fun to discover a new author, a new to you author that like. I was like, oh my God, I've never heard of her and she has other books. I don't know. It was just, it was an exciting discovery as opposed to like, you know, Emily Henry, who I've been reading her books for forever. And I'm like, oh great, she has a new one. I don't know. It just felt fun to discover somebody new. And I love, I love her writing style. It's very funny and the romance is good. It's a very, it's like a sexy one. That's how I felt when I discovered Colleen Hoover. Like I discovered her, but it was like, oh my gosh, I now must read every one of this woman's books. Yeah. Like there's something exciting about discovering an author who has work that you haven't read. Totally. So nobody had, uh, nobody had any other recommendations in romance. Wow. Letting me down here, but we're moving into other fiction. And I guess this is a combination of like more general fiction or more serious fiction that didn't quite fit into like romance or mystery. Yes. So this is where I think the balance of yours are. Yes, I have three. Although I cheated a little bit because when we get to nonfiction, there's a lot of books that I just still can't stop thinking about. And I felt like our genre for the podcast is more fiction. So I didn't want to include those, but I also wanted to mention some nonfiction favorites. You did yours before mine, so I felt I felt justified in cheating yeah. because I saw that you also kind of cheated. Yeah, so um, I'm going to start with The Midnight Library by mm-hmm. Matt Haig, and this is a book I still think about. So I'll tell you, my boyfriend's father is sick right now, so I am making him a little care package, and the books that I picked were The Midnight Library, Circe, Modern Love. These are all books you and I have read. Oh, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And it's kind of like books that him and his wife can both read. But I wanted to share that because those are four of my all-time favorite books. And I just think about this book so often. And I felt like it started in a place I wasn't really comfortable with. Like, I know you and I were both like, ooh, it starts with a suicide attempt. Like, how are we going to handle that? And I will tell you, I found the book so positive and just such a reassurance that regret is not worth it. And that every decision that we've made in our lives just brings us closer to where we should be. I just felt like that book, like it was very sad at times, but it was so just the overall message was so um, helpful for me. And also, I guess, you know, reassuring, it was very warm and comforting in a way, which I think a lot of people read the book and had a total different takeaway than I did. But for me, I found I think it's a book that, you know, I don't really reread fiction. I think I'd reread it. Oh, wow. That's a huge compliment coming from you. Yeah. This this very well could have, although actually I think I read this on 
Ooh, did I read it on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day of 2021? This might have not been in 2021 for me. However, you told me uh, to read this, I think. Well, I was just going to say I, I felt comfortable not picking this because you had it on the list, but like, because I also loved it. Yes. And we have a full book club episode about this one, too. It was our January 2021 book club pick. So if you read it and you want somebody to discuss it with, or if you are going to go read it now, you can also hear us talk way more about it in that episode. Yes. So then a book that a lot of people said to me, if you love that book, you are going to love this. And that was The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. This one is very, very long. And I'll tell you, it took me a little while to get into oh my God, like the ending is just incredible. And it's kind of like, it's a little bit, would fall a little bit, I guess, into fantasy. I would say it's serious fiction, but also kind of fantasy because it starts, it's like an epic saga from like, I want to say the 1700s all the way through modern day where this woman doesn't want to get married and makes a deal with the devil to um, get out of her marriage and be, and have it so that no one will, remember who she is. But in doing that for the rest of her life, she, she can live forever, but no one will ever remember her. So just think about that. Like think about, I don't know, trying to rent an apartment, but no one can remember you trying to get a job and no one can remember you. So it causes some serious impositions, but it's also just besides like those smaller little things, it has like a much deeper, broader message. And this was one that I gave to my mom after finishing it, and she loved it just as much as I did. And I thought that it was just a very powerful book that you keep thinking about afterwards. I I do tell people it is very, very long. So like that month, I think I only read like two other books because it was a longer book. But I'd say through halfway through, like you then like can't put it down and you're just like, I need to know where this goes. And I had one in this category as well, which again, is a book that I don't feel like I've seen a lot of hype for. Although I do remember this having a lot of Goodreads reviews, so maybe I'm just not in the right circles. But it's this book called The People We Keep by Alison Larkin. And I will caveat that this is, the book is incredibly sad. I read this in one day, in one sitting, on a Friday, shirked all my responsibilities, and just sobbed my face off all day. So if you need a good cry, like it's kind of that Grey's Anatomy feeling where it's like a cathartic cry, but like you're falling apart or like this is us where you're like, oh, it's so tragic, but it like feels good to cry. I don't know. I can't describe it. But anyway, I don't believe in that. I boycott. This is us. I won't watch it. <laughs> it if it was like kind of cathartic crying anyway. So the book is about a girl who's, uh, it's it's set in the 90s, and um, she's a teenager and has kind of been abandoned by her father, where he, like, has a new girlfriend, and the girlfriend has a son. So she's living by herself in a trailer home that, like, the car part of it doesn't work. And he, like, comes and checks on her sometimes, but he's basically, like, all but abandoned her. So she's kind of raising herself, and she ends up running away from home. This book follows her over the the next several years, and it basically, each section kind of goes into where she goes and what happens to her next, but also it's it's framed around people that she's had meaningful relationships with. And so it's really beautiful because some of it's about chosen family and, like, people who are meaningful to us. And she also just has, like, a very sad life, so, like, all these terrible things keep happening to her, but she like has, she still has people and it like, it comes full circle so beautifully. It is, oh my God, it was so, so, so good. I loved it. Like I, I'm sad that it isn't, you know, the same hype as a like Taylor Jenkins read book because I feel like it deserves it. This is on my list. Yeah. And not to not to diss on Taylor Jenkins Reid, who I love, but I feel like her books are always like highly anticipated. I'm like, this book was incredible and it deserves like that level of hype. We have a bunch of listener voicemails in this category. So let's hear what you guys loved in our general fiction category. Hey, Grace and Becca, this is Katrina, and I'm calling because you both give great book recommendations every week, and I'm hoping to return the favor by telling you about Olympus, Texas by Stacey Swan. Good news for Grace, there is a murder, but even better news for Becca, this is not a thriller and is very much scaredy cat approved. 
This book follows the Briscoe family, and it starts when March Briscoe returns from two years away from home after he was caught sleeping with his brother's wife. So as you can imagine, he gets a warm welcome back from some people, but not from others. This book really moves, and we get the perspective of a few different characters throughout the story as narrators. Not all the characters are likable, which I know doesn't work for all readers, but it worked really great for me in this book. And the last thing I want to share is the author weaves in some classical Greek mythology throughout the story, but in a way that is very subtle and is not shoved down the reader's throat in any way. Well, that's it. Love the podcast. Love you both. Happy reading. Hi, my favorite book of 2021 is Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. It's a book that's gotten a lot of hype, but it is about a group of people that are trapped in an apartment showing when a bank robber um, walks in on them. I enjoyed it because it was so unexpected. There was so much humor and thoughts about the human condition. It made me laugh. It made me cry. It made me frustrated with the characters and feel for them at the same time. But it was overall a very heartwarming and uplifting book that gives you hope for the future. Um, so that's Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. Hi, Grace and Becca. This is Chloe, a longtime listener of The Pod. I wanted to call in and share one of my favorite books that I read this last year, which is actually a short story collection that I found through one of your former podcast guests, NYC Book Girl. It is The Office of Historical Corrections by Danielle Evans, and I love a good short story collection that really makes you think and has complex characters and just kind of drops you into a snippet of their stories, and this one does just that. It talks a lot about American history and race and grief and apology, and we'll just leave you thinking about it. So I wanted to recommend this in case anyone else is looking for a good short story collection. Thanks. Hi, Grace and Becca. This is Ashley. I'm a big fan of the pod. My favorite book that I read this year was Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. Um, it's an excellent, excellent book that came out this year, written by Tori, who is a, who is a trans, trans woman author. And I, um, I really loved the book for a lot of reasons, but mostly because it's set in New York, and it's set in, in, in kind of in a community within New York, which is the trans community that I don't know very much about, and I really appreciated that it kind of showed me a different side of the city that, you know, I love and live in. And and also beyond that, um, I read a couple of interviews about like with the author, and she and she wrote about how many books that that address kind of trans issues are written for cis hetero audiences, and this book, unlike those other books, is written for for a trans audience. So uh, so that means it's not kind of it basically expects you to to keep up with with what's going on uh, in these trans characters' lives, which I really appreciated. You know, I, I'm a cis-hetero woman, and, you know, all books are written for me, or many books are written for me. And um, I felt like it was, you know, good and different and, and used a different part of my brain to have to keep up with with someone else's life and with their life experience without having it spelled out to me. And so I really loved it. I hope that you guys read it or have read it, and thanks again for everything. Hi, Grace and Becca. This is Linda. I love listening to your podcast. I wanted to add a book that I think everyone should read. It's called We Are Not Like Them by Christine Pride and Joe Piazza. It just relates to the world right now or the country of how we've had so much crap with cops killing black people. And this is a great book. It's about two best friends, one's white and one's black, and the white one is married to a cop, and the black one is actually a TV reporter. The white cop kills a young black kid, and it's about their relationship and their chats and kind of how everything goes down. It's really eye-opening. You see both sides of it, the white side, the black side. It's very eye-opening, as I said, and I think everyone should read this book. It's really good. I hope you'll recommend it. Okay, let's move on to nonfiction. Like I said, I did not choose my official five any nonfiction books, but I feel that I would be really remiss to not say that there are four nonfiction books that I read this year that 
all like impacted me in a different way. Um, so the first is Joyful by Ingrid Fatelli, which I talk about all the time. I'd really like to have her as a guest. I'm kind of shocked. I'm kind of shocked that this didn't make it into your top five. I know. I felt that I couldn't because I took so long to read it. And I was just, I think I was just in a very, I read a lot of nonfiction, but I was in a very like fiction mindset when I made the list for the, cause it's, cause it's our podcast and we don't really talk about a lot of nonfiction. So I love Joyful. I love this author. I like follow her on Instagram. Like we talk a lot. Like I, it just changed it. I learned so much from it and really it started to think about like my apartment and design and like why things that make us happy, make us happy. It's just a fascinating book. I also will always think about the third door, which is that book where the guy kind of interviews all of these famous, like very, very high profile, successful people and like how they kind of got in the door, which is that nightclub metaphor. It's, um, you know, it, there's three, there's three ways to get in. There's the, you can, you're, you're like wealthy and, um, privileged and you can walk right in the door. You are just a regular person and you can wait in line or you can like find that third door and like sneak in through the garage or the back alley. So that's kind of his metaphor for life and success, which I like. I also still think about big magic. I, you know, I think we're coming up on the holidays and it's going to be time to reread it again. It's my January reread every year. It just, no matter how many times I reread it, I just find it so invigorating. It's a great, it's such a great book. And then also Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I just think that this year was a lot of change for me and she kind of inspired me to be a more courageous version of myself. I feel like personally grateful to her for that. Well, I, as a terrible serial nonfiction abandoner, do not have anything to contribute here. But thankfully, our listeners did. They have tons of nonfiction wrecks. Hi, Becca and Grace. This is Katie from Houston. The best book of 2021 that I read was Expecting Better by Emily Oster. It is a true like data and analytics book about pregnancy, and it covers everything from trying to get pregnant and miscarriage to the actual data behind all of those wolves, like rules and wives' tales that were told um, from why you're not supposed to have lunch meat or why your mother was told she wasn't allowed to have lunch meat or sushi compared to the data behind it and all the things you can safely do now. For me, being pregnant for the first time during a pandemic, this book was a lifesaver when all I wanted was to eat a deli sandwich and figured out how I could do that safely. Thanks so much for the podcast. Hi, Grace and Becca. My name is Sam, and I'm a huge fan of the pod. And um, one book that I read this year that I absolutely loved was called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And essentially, it's about indigenous wisdom and scientific knowledge and how that ties into the teaching of plants. It feels like a warm hug, especially in the fall. And the storytelling is just so wonderful. And it gives us a really insight, interesting insight into a lot of the like indigenous teachings that I feel like we often overlook. Thank you so much. Love the pod. Hi, my name's Anna from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and my favorite read of the year is Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. She writes um, essays, kind of like a memoir about growing up with a Korean mother and as an American and her mom's fight with cancer that ultimately ended up with her passing away. I lost a parent when I was young, and I'm figuring out how to grieve as an adult, and her writing was really honest and raw. It talks a lot about how complicated their relationship was, but ultimately was such a celebration of her life, and it was just beautiful, and I would highly recommend to anyone, but especially someone who's kind of leaning into grief. Thanks. Have a great day. Hi, Grace and Becca. My name is Carrie. I love the Bat on Paper podcast. I read so many awesome books this year, but the one that keeps coming up in conversations I have with friends is Cultish by Amanda Montel. This book is all about the language of influence, and she looks at everything from soul cycle to MLMs and Scientology. And as a person who works in communications, it was one of the most fascinating books I've ever read about language and how we create community. 
I recommend it to everyone, especially if you are like me and you love boutique fitness. But after reading this book, I really can't say that soul cycle instructors don't have a lot in common with cult leaders. I think you both would find it fascinating. Okay, thank you. Bye. Hi, Grace and Becca. My name is Amy, and I want to tell you about one of my favorite books that I've read in 2021. It's a memoir called The Wreckage of My Presence by Casey Wilson. First of all, that title is incredible. I now use that phrase in my day-to-day life. Secondly, it's just a delightful book. Casey has a way of making you laugh and then making you cry. She touches on both lighthearted and heavier topics, and she'll make you feel like you're best friends with her by the time it's done. As a note, I did listen to the audiobook, and I would highly recommend reading it this way because Casey is such an engaging storyteller, and it's great to hear these stories in her own voice. I know you both really liked Jessica Simpson's open book, so I think you'll really like this one, too. Hi. Um, I was just calling in with a book recommendation from 2021. I run an Instagram account called Things That I Dig, and my favorite book of 2021 is called Indistractable. It's by Neil Heyer. I think I'm saying his last name correctly. And the book was just so interesting with kind of being in a time of burnout and also just feeling very distracted. I feel like the book is like very concise and gives you a lot of really good helpful tips on how to become less distractible in our everyday life. Hi, Grace and Becca. This is Jordan from Texas, and I wanted to call and tell you about a book that made a big impact on me this year. It is called A Most Beautiful Thing, and it is a true story of the first all-black high school rowing team. I'm a huge sucker for a sports book, and this one does not disappoint. But it's even better because it looks at a lot of really important themes, such as privilege, and teamwork, overcoming adversity, and just really makes you think about how we all come from different places and all of the pieces of our life that got us where we are today and how those are different for everyone. So I think it increases like kind of my worldview and um, just makes me more empathetic that we all come from different paths. But it's really just a really good book, um, very inspirational. I still find myself thinking about it months later. And bonus, after reading a most beautiful thing, and then a boys or boys in the boat last year. I decided I was really into this whole rowing thing and joined my local rowing gym so I could get some exercise. So I'm calling it a win all around. Anyway, thanks so much for letting us share, and thanks for all the great work on the podcast. All right, so our last category, because as I said, these didn't all have to be published this year, is our backlist category. So some of the older books that we read this year that are not new but were new to us. Um. And this one was the one that I thought of when it was like, if you ask me what my best book of the year is, I think it might be this. So it's The Blue Bistro by Ellen Hildebrand. And I mean, this was special to me because this was, this wasn't my first Ellen Hildebrand, but it was like the one that clicked with me the hardest. This is the one that got me addicted to her books. It's about a woman who moves to Nantucket and gets a job at a fine dining restaurant there. She starts a romance with the general manager who's best friends with the chef. I didn't even really care about the romance that much. I mean, it was good, but I didn't care. What I cared about was it was just like the most astute, wonderful portrayal of working in a restaurant. And I I worked in a restaurant in college and it just, it clicked with me so hard. I loved the character. I loved the, the broader cast of characters of the patrons of the restaurant and the people who worked in the restaurant. Like I just loved it. Uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. I will also caveat that it's it's very old. It's from like 2004 or so. So it does feel dated in some ways, both in terms of like the technology, but then also there's like one or two moments where like somebody says something kind of sexist, which I think in the time did not feel that way. But like reading it, I was like, don't love that. But it didn't ruin it for me. There was like comments about her body that like were in there too. And I was like, Ooh. yeah, it was like, that wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't that, hold yeah, up. Totally. Exactly. Like I think when their first kiss, he just like, there's no consent moment. And I was like, don't love that. But you know, if you read it through that lens, like nothing's aggressively bad about it. Yeah. I love that one too. I found like you were really pushing for me to read it. And I, I like El- Ellen Hildebrand. I'm not as big of a fan the way that you are. And, but you, 
you wanted me to read it because of the restaurant angle. Cause I literally like grew up like at that restaurant, like in a way, like one of the like best fine dining restaurants on Cape Cod was my parents' restaurant. So I just really related to the whole like restaurant life part of that. Yeah. And you have a backlist pick too, right? Um, so I do. Mine is the underground railroad by Colson Whitehead. And this came out in 2016 and I will tell you, I liked his other book, The Nickel Boys, even more than this. I'm still struggling through his latest book, which is called Harlem Shuffle. It's um, more of a mystery, and I, I don't know. It's just not resonating with me as much as his other books. But this one um, is about slavery, and it's it's kind of cold. He has this very unique, creative interpretation of the Underground Railroad in which it is no longer like a metaphor, but it's actually an underground railroad. I just thought it was really creatively done. It was heartbreaking as his books usually are and like hunting and will stick with you. But I just, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, as I think I've said with every single one of the books that I put on my list in this episode, it was one of those books that haunted me, stuck with me. I couldn't stop thinking about it for days. This is kind of an epic saga. Like she just like keeps getting caught and like keeps having some sort of a, um, a problem and just what she manages to do in the face of adversity. And we also have a couple of listener voicemails with some back catalog uh, picks as well. And I was surprised there weren't more. So here's a couple more. Hi, Dad on Paper. My name is Mara. I am from Cleveland, Ohio. And my favorite book of the year was A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. And the reason for this is I actually found the recommendation from this podcast. But I love it because it is so sad. It is so heavy. Um, but it was very cathartic. I, I cry. I think about it every day. It's one of those books that really sticks with you when you, um, you know, move on and read other books. And it's something I haven't stopped thinking about every day since. So, if you are up for a sad, sad, heavy, reflective story, definitely recommend looking up all of the trigger warnings. Um, it is it is very triggering for many, um, but totally recommend if that's something you're looking for and you really want to get totally um, involved with the book. Thanks, Beth on Paper Fan. Hope you have a great day. Hi, I am calling to talk about my favorite book that I read, which was Summer of 69 and by Ellen Hildebrand. And I just found it so refreshing because it was an escape. And in the pandemic, that's what everyone needed. It had historical information. I feel like I learned what was actually happening in the summer of 69, but it was incredibly well written. I have a background in writing and I learned that she went to Iowa to study writing. So she has a real knack for writing, but also it felt light and like an escape. As they say, it's the perfect beach read. So that was my favorite book. Bye. Okay, let's take one last ad break. So I'm really excited about one of our newer sponsors, which is EverlyWell. So EverlyWell offers affordable at-home lab tests that will give you trusted physician-reviewed results. You can choose from all sorts of different tests, including food sensitivity, metabolism, sleep and stress, thyroid, and so much more. So I chose the food sensitivity test because I have a very, very sensitive stomach. And this... I guess the past few months I've been really focused on prioritizing my health. I don't know, like I've kind of narrowed down the foods I think I'm sensitive to, but you really never know. So I was extremely excited to take the food sensitivity test. I cannot wait to get my results back. So Everly Well believes that knowing how to feel our best should not be so complicated. Everly Well can help you learn more about your body so that you can take control of your health and wellness on your own time. Here's how it works. Everly Well ships your tests straight to your door with everything needed for a simple sample collection. You return the test to a CLIA certified lab with a prepaid shipping label. Within days, you'll get your results back. I was really amazed by how quick and easy the whole process is. I really, really wish that I took this test sooner. So I don't have my results back just yet, but I'm going to keep you guys posted and I will share more when I get them. I just think this stuff is so interesting and um, just such a good guideline. Like I'm really just intrigued to see what I end up being sensitive to. 
So over a million people have trusted EverlyWell with their at-home lab testing. And for Bad on Paper listeners, EverlyWell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash BOP. That's everlywell.com slash BOP for 20% off your at-home lab test. everlywell.com slash BOP. Back to the episode. So that's the end of our books, our, our best books, but we still have some end matter for you. Grace, it doesn't look like either of us have an Instagram obsession. Is that right? I don't. But I need to talk to somebody about the morning show and episode eight. Are you caught up? I'm caught up. I watched it. How are you feeling? I liked it. I thought that it was good. Oh, spoilers. Just like fast forward a handful of times, like a few minutes, if you don't want to hear the spoiler. So we're talking about that Mitch basically drove off the road and killed himself. I liked it. I thought that it was interesting to see his plot line evolve in this season where it was like they didn't necessarily need to keep him in the show coming into season two. And so I was like, oh, that's a unique situation. But you got to see him like reconcile with what he did. And then I I think it was smart to kill him off as a character. And I also thought that it was really interesting to see him and Jennifer Aniston like kind of reconcile and it was like you did a terrible thing but you're still somebody I love and like how do I deal with that like I thought that was really interesting and I just I thought the whole thing was like I I thought it was really well done I really liked it I saw on Ashley Spivey's story that she hated it where did you net out Uh, um I'm traumatized I don't know I um I, I I'm with you I I think it's an interesting arc to see like we we've kind of canceled all these people over the past couple of years and you know, the, with the whole me too mo- movement and everything. And it's like, what happens to them after that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, do they learn from it? Do they just like keep doing it? Like what, what happens? And I thought that was interesting to play out and to see how it affected his life Yeah, and to see how he perceived of his previous actions, like with more time, And thought, like, did he see his own culpability or did he, like, not see it? I I just, I thought the whole thing was really interesting. I would have liked to see him, like, learn from it and, like, move on. But I can see why they did what they did. But I, besides that moment, I found this season to be really good. Like, I didn't really, like, I thought the first season was so great. And I was kind of like, oh, interesting. There's a second season. Like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. But I'm enjoying it. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think I like it even more than the first season. Also, the whole Bradley Jackson thing with um, Laura Peters. Yeah, I keep wanting to call her <laughs> Alicia from <laughs> from The Good Wife. But I found that arc to be really interesting and unexpected as well. I'm loving this whole second season. I was really worried that having a COVID plotline was going to ruin it for me. And, I, you know, I think they're kind of dabbling in the beginning of COVID. So Italy's locked down, but the U.S. isn't locked down yet. And we're already eight episodes in. I think it's probably only 10 or 12 episodes long this season. So I don't think we'll like really go too deep into COVID, but I feel like it's well balanced where it hasn't bothered me at all. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. So your obsession is also TV related. Yes. Have you watched this? So my obsession is A Discovery of Witches, the TV series. I watched the first season, but not the second Okay. So I remember your sister was like obsessed with it and was like, you have to watch it. And she had some like bonkers way that she was downloading, like pirating the episodes because like they weren't available in the US or something. I can't remember. But she had found this weird site for it. I was like, we're going to all like have our computers hacked from this. I'm not doing it. Yeah. So I remember that she really loved it. And I've occasionally heard on the internet, somebody say they loved it, but I don't know anyone in real life who watches this show. And I kind of just assumed that it was bad. And I loved this series. I didn't want to see it ruined. And on Halloween, I was like, okay, the spooky thing I'm doing today is I'm going to start a discovery of witches. And I'll be honest with you, it probably took me three episodes to like warm up to this. The lead actress in this is beautiful. She is not a phenomenal actress. I think their chemistry gets better. I think she gets a little better. I also think some of the writing on the show is like, really bad. Like I was watching an episode in season two last night and like one of the characters lines was like, well, well, well. And I was like, who says that in real life? And it like wasn't an evil person. It was just like in day-to-day conversation. But anyway, so, you know, it has its drawbacks. The cinematography is beautiful. And for any complaint I might have, 
I binged a season and a half in a day. So like any complaints I might have about it, it was clearly very addictive. I loved it. I loved it. And then I was curious about the second season because the second season goes back in time, which I I guess is a spoiler if you haven't read the books. And I thought that was really interesting too. And one thing that they did in the books is they used a lot of like actual historical figures as like people who he's friends with. So like Queen Elizabeth is in it and William Shakespeare is in it. Christopher Marlowe is in it. And like there's all these people who are actual people. And so I thought it was really interesting to see how some of them were portrayed. I think William Shakespeare was left out. Or if he wasn't, it was just like a tangential conversation that like wasn't really central. I do think, I I will just caveat, I was thinking about this last night. I think the TV show was made for fans of the book. I think that if you didn't read the book, I don't know what you would think of the show because they like kind of gloss over some stuff or like stuff happens really quickly where you're like, wait, like how did this happen so fast that you're like so in love? So in that way... I think like if you read the books, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can fill in the blanks here. But I as a fan of the book series, I loved this. I might need to revisit it. So I think that I'm going to get my flu shot this weekend. And I think this would be a really good activity because I I'm like that one loser that always gets sick from the flu shot. I think this would be a great like couch bound watching a day yeah. binge for this. I think that's season. a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. What about on the book front? We've talked a lot about books today, but we have even more. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Books. So I have been a really bad reader. I, um, I'm getting back into it. I finished Ghosts by Dolly Alderton and I loved it. I can't wait to talk about it with you more when we have our book club discussion. I, I will just say, I never want to be friends with any characters. I would totally be her friend. I love this woman. I thought that the, it was such a realistic look at modern dating, but also besides all the dating stuff, there's so many conversations to be had about the friendships in there and also all the stuff with her family. So yeah, it's a great book. The premise is it's um, about a woman who gets ghosted and like kind of what happens after that. I just, I, I've, and it's our, it's our November book club pick, which is why Grace is talking about talking yes, about it with yes, me. And so we'll be talking, talking about, about it at the end of the month. Yes. And then I, on Sunday night, I was in the mood for a cozy food memoir. So I finally started Garlic and Sapphires by Ruth Reichel. And oh, so Save Me the Plums was about her time as the editor-in-chief of Gourmet Magazine. And this is about her time as the New York Times food critic. And it's fascinating so far. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. I mean, I love how she writes. I love, I think I would just like, I don't know. She's obviously older than us and much more accomplished and probably wouldn't want to be my friend, but I'd like to be her friend. Like she's just like, there's like, she's just so brilliant. Like she dresses up in costume because everyone recognizes her and it's just, it's funny and it's great. I'm like maybe only a hundred pages into it, but I just love her and I'm really loving the book so far. Oh, that sounds good. How about you? So I, I think I'd read four pages last week. I read Always in December by Emily Stone. And I'm sorry to say it, I did not love it. So this is my first Christmas read of the year. It's also about ghosting. It's about this girl who uh, her parents are, are dead. And so she's alone on Christmas and she meets this handsome stranger by accident. And they end up spending uh, the days leading up to and Christmas together. And then on the day after Christmas, she wakes up and he's gone. And uh, they keep coming back into each other's lives in these like coincidental ways over the next year and keep seeing each other. And yeah, that that's like the premise. I didn't like it. I didn't love the main character. It, it verged, it, you know what it was? The main character felt mousy and meek a little bit. Like, she didn't stick up for herself and she was kind of just like, oh, I'm just like stuck in my lane. And I, there's a lot of books like this. And uh, I've read a lot of books of that type of character and it didn't bother me, but it did with this one for some reason. So I didn't love the main character. And then without giving you a spoiler, the book does take a sad turn, which I was somewhat outraged about, even though I knew something was coming. So it wasn't like it was like out of nowhere, but I, I didn't end up loving this. So this was a skip for me, but I, I've heard other people, including Ashley Spivey, who's usually like my North Star reading recommender, said she loved it. So do with that what you will. But I am reading another book that I am obsessed with. So it's called If This Gets Out, and it's written by Sophie Gonzalez and Kale Dietrich. 
And it comes out in December. It's a YA book about a boy band. It's about two of the members of the boy band are having like a secret romance together. And so it's like a kind of first love book. It's got like all of the glamour of like a pop band. And it's just, oh, it's so well done. I'm like halfway through. It is pretty long. I am obsessed with this book. So I'll tell you more about where I net out next week when I finish it. But like, I'm ready to champion this book. It is great. Ooh. If you liked, I I will say if you liked. You know, I didn't love Red, White, and Royal Blue. I liked it, but didn't I was going to say, it. if you're a fan of Red, White, and Royal Blue, which I know a lot of people are, I think you're going to love this book. So I think we gave people enough book recs today. I think we did. But if you want something else to read, read our November book club pick. I can't wait to talk about this with you all. It's the book I mentioned earlier, Ghosts by Dolly Alderton. You were right, Becca. The second half really is a page turner. And I think that there's just so much to talk about with this one um, from dating and relationships to friendships and beyond. I also think if you host a book club like with your friends, this would be a great book club pick. It would. It really would. And if you'd like to talk more about your favorite books of the year, if you didn't get a chance to contribute, come to our Facebook group. We'll start a thread about it. We're also on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood. And my blog is The Stripe. Okay. See you next week. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>